That is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good. Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4AltaCalifornia.com. That's 4AltaCalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4AltaCalifornia.com. Join us every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. for Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse here on Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin, bringing you the best of San Francisco's underground comedy scene here every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. It's only $2. You can bring your own beer and listen to comedy here every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m., 21st in Florida. It's mutinyradio.fm. The House of Pride radio show, LGBT radio for everyone. Funky interviews, funky beats, talking drag queens, and much, much more. It's LGBT radio for everyone. Listen live every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride radio, LGBT radio for everyone. Celebrating the considerable contributions of the LGBT community in San Francisco and beyond. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Listen here for hot new local beats by LGBT artists and listen to live interviews. Tune in, turn on, every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m., House of Pride Radio with drag queen personalities, Tweeka Turner and Pearl T. Are you sick of reading the news? Do you even bother to read the news anymore? Do you need someone to read it to you because it's just so disgusting and depressing? If so, then the Weekly Review is the show for you. Join Roman Reimer as Roman reads the news, whether it be LGBTQ issues, cannabis legalization, prison abolition, police brutality, or many other issues that sometimes the media just doesn't feel the need to cover. Listen in, Fridays at noon, Mutiny Radio. Roman's also joined by activists, community organizers, artists, and many other great folks working to make the world a better place. Have no fear. The news is here. And if you feel like yelling about it, well then Roman will be yelling with you. The Weekly Review, Fridays at noon on Mutiny Radio. Hello, comrades. This is your comrade, Zach Wiseman, host of government-sponsored program, Communist Folding Chairs, mandated by the Kremlin to occur every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m., broadcast by our comrades at mutinyradio.fm. Sit, relax, listen to my comrades in stand-up comedy march honorably through their cold balance sets, and other comrades make fun of them. Because in Mother Russia, 
if you can't laugh about starving for turnip and beet and attention, you are a capitalist pig, and the KB KGB will visit you shortly. Every Monday, 2 through 4 p.m. Looking to invest in the future of your community? MediaRadio.fm and the Boys and Girls Club Mission Clubhouse needs your help. Please donate to keep the Radio Clash Show Institute right now alive on the air every Thursday from 4.50 to 5.50 p.m. Donations are tax deductible. Donate online at www.MediaRadio.fm or just stop by the station at 21st Street and Florida. That's 2781 21st Street and throw some cash in the big glass jar. Stop by to experience live audience friendly shows every day of the week and know that you're supporting the future of the mission by keeping free speech alive for all ages. This PSA is brought to you by your friends and community partners at MutinyRadio.fm. Hi, I'm Chuck Weiss. If you're an old baby boomer like me, pain is probably something you've learned to live with by now. Yes, there are drugs on the market that help, but they come with side effects and shouldn't be used for extended periods of time. But fortunately, there is an effective natural pain reliever available in this state, medical cannabis. Let me tell you about Alta California Botanicals. They're a manufacturer of fine cannabis tinctures. Now you can take your medication in liquid form, much more discreet than pulling out a pipe and lighting up. Alta California Botanicals offers five different formulations, each one addressing a specific medical concern. There are two that are designed for pain, one to be swallowed, of course, and a new one for external use only. I'm going to have to try that one myself on my arthritic fingers. There's a tincture for stress and one for anxiety. They'll certainly keep you mellow. And there's even one for people who suffer from MS. The cannabis tinctures from Alta California Botanicals come in one half ounce bottles. Each batch is laboratory tested and certified free of pesticides and mold. In other words, completely natural and unadulterated. Alta California Botanicals doesn't sell directly to the public, of course, but if you visit their website at Alta, A-L-T-A, CaliforniaBotanicals.com and enter your zip code, they'll give you a list of dispensaries near you that keep their tinctures in stock. Now here's a tip for the holiday season. Keep a couple of extra bottles of the stress formula handy. It'll help maintain your cool amongst all that shopping madness. I'm Chuck Weiss for AltaCaliforniaBotanicals.com. Do you have a great idea for a product or service but don't know where to start? Are you looking to expand your current business? Women's Initiative of San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business, or for more information, please contact 415-641-3460 or visit womensinitiative.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Planned Parenthood is a trusted healthcare provider, an informed educator, a passionate advocate, 
and a global partner helping similar organizations around the world. Planned Parenthood delivers vital reproductive health care, sex education, and information to millions of women, men, and young people worldwide. For nearly 100 years, Planned Parenthood has promoted a common sense approach to women's health and well-being based on respect for each individual's rights to make informed, independent decisions about health, sex, and family planning. Please visit PlannedParenthood.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. The Berkeley Free Clinic was founded in 1969 as a street medicine clinic, but quickly found a permanent home in the Berkeley community. It has become an icon in the area and has served countless thousands in a variety of ways during its 45-year history. Fees have never been charged for any services, materials, medications, or supplies provided at the Berkeley Free Clinic. Income has been generated solely via individual or organizational donations and government programs. To volunteer your time or to make a donation or for more information, visit berkeleyfreeclinic.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Women's Magazine on Mutiny Radio here in San Francisco. Thanks for listening to MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val, and it is Friday, October 30th, so the end of October. We're rounding around into the new season, this fall season. Uh, May you fall in love with it. Uh, Autumn is a beautiful time of year. As the uh, the chill kind of sets in a little bit and the winds pick up and the colors change and well so do we all so um, thanks for joining me today I'm gonna play a little music for you um, from Maya Byrne who is a pretty amazing artist out from New York uh, came out to the West Coast just a couple months back and just kind of hit the ground running and found herself having a show at the Great American Music Hall not that long ago. Anyhow, I'm going to play some Maya Byrne for you for just a few minutes. This is from her album, As I Am, and then I'll be back in just a few moments. Thanks for tuning in.
That was music from Maya Byrne off of her album, As I Am. Very, very cool sound. Very cool sound coming out uh, from the East Coast. And uh, you're listening to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. And uh, just a, you know, there's a few things today. A couple of reminders, of course. Uh, coming up this Tuesday here in San Francisco, and November 2nd. I'm sorry. I think it's November 3rd, actually. November 3rd is... And somebody, nope, there it is. Um, I've got my voter guide right here because the election is happening Tuesday, November 3rd here in the city and county of San Francisco, my hometown, a uh, place my family's been for five, going on six generations, actually. I've got some younger generation folks, uh, sixth generation, and we've seen a lot of changes throughout these uh, these times. San Francisco is a boom town after all, but uh, we've seen a lot of People being negatively affected by various policies over the past, um, well, several years and, well, let's face it, several decades. So, you know, if you're if you're not sure what you're doing in terms of voting, um, you know, I hope you have your voter guide and I hope you read the fine print and not just get not just get into your voter guide book, but also reach out. Do some research. You have all weekend if you haven't done it already. Uh, connect with some of the groups who put these things on the ballot. Um, various initiatives. Um, definitely a lot of different sides to consider. And we'll be talking more about that uh, in just about an hour from now on the Common Thread Collective, which comes up next every Friday from 3 to 6 here on Mutiny Radio. So definitely get out and vote. Um, we have a little malaise going on here in the United States, of course. A little little ennui, those are my French words for, oh, we're just kind of a little disillusioned, a little feeling a bit disenfranchised, a little bored with this whole concept of that your vote can actually do anything, but it can, and you, and not voting does more than voting. So um, if you don't vote, it's kind of like throwing your hands up and giving up. So at least get out there, make your voice heard, um, check out the candidates who are running for mayor, 
one, two, three to replace Ed Lee, Amy Farrell-Weiss, Francisco Herrera, and Brokass Stewart uh, Shuffman. And if you're wanting to get to know them more and you haven't yet and you keep hearing rumors about Amy Weiss and Francisco Herrera, you can go to my podcasts here on mutinyradio.fm. Up at the top, we have podcasts. Um, and just scroll down to Fridays, 2 to 3 p.m. And uh, for Women's Magazine with Global Val, on September 18th, we I hosted the first one, two, three uh, candidates forum here at Mutiny Radio. We had the public forum. They had write-in questions. Um, and uh, all the candidates were able to get a chance to uh, talk about where they're coming from and why they're kind of working together. Um, thinking, you know, basically all of them deciding independently to run, but not symbolically getting together so that ranked choice voting can help unseat the incumbent Ed Lee, whose policies have not made a lot of people in San Francisco very happy over the past few years. Um, also on September 18th in the archives on Mutiny Radio, if you listen to the weekly review with Roman and Molly, that's the show that happens right before mine uh, here at Mutiny Radio from 12 to 2. And uh, Roman hosted the three candidates in conversation that day as well. So it's a two-hour show. He had them in here for the last hour of his show. So uh, hopefully you get a chance to give a listen and get to know some of these candidates and where they're coming from. It's uh, a very interesting time in San Francisco, but I guess isn't always an interesting time in San Francisco. So today... um, I know it's Women's Magazine, but I want to dedicate today's show to a very important uh, male figure in my life, um, my uncle, who unfortunately just passed. He passed just a couple nights ago, Um, a a bright-eyed, twinkling individual, uh, a, a man comfortable in his own heart and in his own skin, which is very rare in this world. And uh my family and I actually got a chance to say goodbye to him in a very odd way. Um, he'd been fighting cancer for a few years, but kind of responding pretty well, and then then just stopped responding so to the uh, to the medication, and they gave him not too long to live. Incidentally, we had a family party that was already planned um, for his son, who is taking a trip with his girlfriend around the world and so it was a it was a bon voyage party for my cousin and it just turned out that we knew my uncle was coming and uh, everybody came and we knew it was going to be the last time we saw him Um, so it was kind of an odd gift Uh, but it was you know it was it was trying but I think he was a person who ever who always brought out the best in people and so it ended up being a really special event um, so I wrote this poem after that happened, after that party, and the poem is called Bon Voyage. A prescribed family gathering for two who are going traveling takes on a more profound meaning when one who is attending will not too much longer be living. The pause we feel at the news causes no hesitation to determine to be present, for it is an odd gift to be granted one last visit. 
In anticipation of what we're told to be imminent, our intentions trump, trump any expectations. Together we walk into the unknown, only really believing upon seeing our uncle turning to bone. Bright eyes, blue as they ever were, hours blur as he comes into view, holding on to a breath before we walk across the room to smile and hug and to whisper, I love you, holding on to the touch and not letting go too soon. current rising 
where the Southland begins. Leave on the next wind. Leave on the next wind. With the red tail hawk circling. When the tree branches thin. Leave on the next wind. Where a soft sun is shining, you'll find me on the drifts of the quietest waves. Become tossed into pebbles and turn to sand. That arrow is pinned. Leave on the next wind. Again, you're listening to the music of Maya Byrne. That's M-Y-A-B-Y-R-N-E. Uh, Maya Byrne, as I am. Some lovely, lovely music from a very talented individual. And um, I was thinking today, I actually heard on the news earlier that China's one-child policy has now been altered. Um, and now they say you can have two. Hey, imagine that. Um so 
kind of an interesting topic, and it just makes me think about women's rights and, and human rights in general. Um, I mean, you could talk all day about uh, overpopulation and, and the ecological influence of uh, overpopulation on the planet, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about human rights. And um, actually, a, a several months ago, actually around the, the turn of last year, I started reading uh, from a book called When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone. The, the story of the most ancient of religions, the religion of the goddess, and the role this ancient worship played in Judeo-Christian attitudes towards women. And it's a, it's a really, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's historical, it's archaeological, so it's a little bit dense at times, um, but kind of working our way through it. So I, I read from it uh, back actually last, last December, uh, the last show right before Christmas, um, I did a whole show about God. Um, so anyhow, I, I want to bring a, a, a little a little chapter, a little kind of summary of one of the chapters in this book. Um, and I think it really touches on a few different things, um, not only, you know, women's rights, but also uh, different parts of the world where women used to be worshipped. Um, and some of those parts of the world that today, um, you know, like in, like in Syria, where um, there's just mad bombings and, and killings from both sides, whether it be from so-called rebels or these, um, you know, our military forces of Syria and, and the regime that dict, you know, that runs it. Um, so I'm just going to read you a couple of pages here from When God Was a Woman. This is a summary of one of the chapters called Where Where Woman Was Deified. Though cause and effect between matrilineal descent, high female status and the veneration of the goddess are often confused, we cannot avoid the fact that repeated evidence attests that the religion of the goddess and a female kinship system were closely intertwined in many parts of the Near East. Though much of the... <clears throat> Though much of the material pertains to royalty, there is enough to suggest that matrilineal customs were practiced in many areas by the general population as well. In examining the transition from the goddess religion to the worship of the male deity as supreme and the subsequent effects upon the status of women, we find certain patterns emerging. From the beginning of the second millennium, the Assyrians were in close political and commercial contact with the Indo-European Hittites. Indo-European Hurrian princes appeared in various cities of northern Syria from that t same time on. By 1600 BC, Babylon was controlled by the Indo-European-led Kassites. By 1500 BC, Assyria was completely under the control of the Hurrians who had formed the kingdom of Mitanni. Accompanying these conquests was the introduction of the myth of Marduk, who, we are told, murdered the goddess to gain his supreme position in Babylon. In Assyria, the same myth was told. The name of Ashur simply substituted for the name Marduk. Throughout the second millennium, the Indo-Europeans made further inroads into the lands of Canaan and Mesopotamia, and as Merlin Stone here will explain in the next two chapters, may have played an important role in the formation of the Hebrew religion and laws. It may be helpful at this point to summarize the changes in the laws as they affected various aspects of the lives of women. In Ashnuna in Sumer, about 2000 BC, if a man raped a woman, he was put to death. 
In the old Babylonian period of Hammurabi, before the major incursions of the Indo-Europeans, though many of the northerners were Babylonian even at the time, the same punishment was given. In the laws of Assyria, which are dated between 1450 and 1250 BC, when Assyria was under Indo-European control, we read that if a man rapes a woman, the husband or father of that woman should then rape the rapist's wife or daughter and or marry his own daughter to the rapist. The last part of the law was also the law of the Hebrews, who added that a raped woman must be put to death if she was already married or betrothed. Assyrian laws appear to be, to be the first to mention abortion, assigning the penalty as death. The reforms of Urukajina, about 2300 BC, refer to the fact that women used to take two husbands, though at the time of his reign, this was no longer allowed. In the laws of Ashnuna, a man who took a second wife, after his first had given birth to a child, was to be expelled from the house without any possessions. In Ashnuna, if a woman had a child by another man while her husband was away at war, her husband was expected to take her back as his wife. No punishment for adultery was mentioned. In Hammurabi's laws, if a woman related to another man sexually, if a woman related to another man sexually, she was expected to take an oath at the temple and return home to her husband. The Assyrian and Hebrew laws give the husband the right to murder both the wife and the lover. It is somewhat difficult to make comparisons between the various places and periods, since the laws seem to have been included to codify very specific incidents and refer to varying situations. The major changes in the laws concerning women affected their right to engage in economic activities, what they might or might not inherit, what they in turn were allowed to pass on to their children. You can have two in China now. The attitude toward rape, abortion, infidelity on the part of the husband or wife, and among the Hebrews only, the penalty of death for women for the loss of virginity before marriage. These laws, since they, were primarily affect, since they primarily affected the economic and sexual activities of women, pointed to the likelihood that they were aimed at the matrilineal descent customs. That's like keeping your name when you get married and passing on to your children, matrilineal. The very fact that so many of the laws concerned women suggests that both the economic and sexual position of women was continually changing from the time of the first attested northern invasions about 2300 BC until the laws of the Hebrews, probably written down between 1250 and 1000 BC, though, as mentioned, none of the original Hebrew texts have yet been discovered. In questioning to what extent the female kinship customs and the reverence of the female deity affected the status of women, we may perhaps best judge by our observations of the women of the Hebrew tribes who had accepted the worship of the new male deity alone, and the subsequent laws controlling their position and rights in the society in which they lived. We might also want to consider the possibility that, in an even more personal way, just as the Hebrews prayed for sons and rejoiced when male heirs were born to carry on the family line, not so far removed from the attitudes of many families even today, in matrilineal societies, the birth of daughters was likely to have been considered a special blessing. Female children may have been especially cherished for the same reasons. 
According to the curators of the Archaeological Museum of the University of Cambridge in England, even today, quote, among the matrilineal Asante in Africa, female children are especially valued because of their power to transmit blood, to continue the matriline. In ancient times, the sun goddess of Irina in Anatolia was worshipped along with her two daughters and a granddaughter. The Cassis of Assam worshipped their goddess along with her three daughters and a wayward son. What emotional effects this may have had upon the self-esteem and development of a young girl at that time, we can only guess. A consciousness of the relationship of the veneration of the goddess to the matrilineal descent of name, property, and the rights to the throne is vital in understanding the suppression of the goddess religion. As I shall explain, it was probably the underlying reason for the resentment of the worship of the goddess and all that it represented by the patriarchal invaders who arrived from the north. Judging by the continued presence of the goddess as supreme deity in the Neolithic and Chalcolithic societies of the Near and Middle East, goddess worship, probably accompanied by the matrilineal customs, appears to have existed without challenge for thousands of years. It is upon the appearance of the invading northerners, who from all accounts had established patrilineal, patriarchal customs in the worship of a supreme male deity sometime before their arrival in the goddess-worshipping areas, that the greatest changes in religious beliefs and social customs appear to have taken place. Who were these northern people? And how were they able to gradually suppress and eventually destroy the ancient goddess religion that had existed for so many thousands of years? And that was from the book, When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone. A very interesting read and uh, shedding light on some of our history uh, and our history being our human history and what we know of it. So again, you are listening to Women's Magazine here on mutinyradio.fm. It is Friday, October 30th, and uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about the upcoming election here in San Francisco, which is going to be on Tuesday, November 3rd. The first Tuesday in November, of course, is Election Day. So if you're if you're considering uh, what to do, if you're feeling a little bit of malaise about the democratic process, all I have to say is not voting does more than, uh, than you think. Um, so at least represent what you believe and uh, get out there and vote and get informed. Here's a little music from one of my favorites, Sea Star. Guilty pleasure, folks.
That was music from Sea Star out on the, from the Big Island of Hawaii. You're listening to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val here at MutinyRadio.fm every Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. And uh, next Tuesday coming up is the election here in San Francisco, city and county of my hometown here, fifth generation myself. And of course, we're very concerned about the... Well, we've got it. We're in the midst of a housing crisis, and it's not just that we don't have enough housing for people; it's that people are getting displaced, um, not only by landlords who have decided to evict tenants um, for a variety of reasons, um, but also because we have so much housing already in San Francisco that's not being used equitably. And one of the things that is on the ballot this coming Tuesday, November 3rd, is Proposition F, which is a proposition that kind of came up from the neighborhoods of San Francisco um, to try to regulate short-term rentals of of private private housing. Um, things like Airbnb and VRBO are a couple of examples of companies who are a marketplace for you know, renting out a spare room to visitors and kind of creating a, it, it, it kind of grew out of a previous notion of couch surfing, right? You want to go to a new city, um, you can find somebody who will let you sleep on their couch. And hey, that's pretty cool because it's a cheap way to do it. But it's really turned into a, a, a multi-million dollar business in San Francisco, um, whereby the people who are hosting these guests are paying a, for, you know, paying a 14% hotel tax to the city and county of San Francisco. Um, that's amounted to several million dollars every year in revenue for the city. So of course we have a lot of people who are, you know, downtown at city hall who are against prop F because it would be regulating the short term rentals of, uh, private residences. Um, and it would be limiting it to 75 days a year, but not only that would also be, uh, basically holding these companies accountable, which as under current law, um, they're not being held accountable for listing units that may or may not be legal, may or may not be registered with the city. Um, and of course, City Hall is afraid of losing out on this revenue of, you know, this, these taxes that are coming in. Um, but the, the, the point is, is that so many people are in need of housing right now, in need of affordable housing. Um, and it's, we're just, we just know that there are only about 600 registered units, um, people who have registered with the city under the current law. Um, but there are about 10,000 units that are being rented out and hosted um, with services like Airbnb. And so prop, Proposition F would limit short-term rentals of units to 75 days a year, uh, regardless of whether or not the rental is hosted or unhosted. So whether you're in the apartment or in the house while your guest is there or not. Um, and these hosting platforms would have to stop listing a unit for short-term rental once that unit's been rented for more than 75 days out of the year. Um, it seems like a pretty simple request to put into this uh, tech, tech boom San Francisco where, um, you know, you're probably my 12-year-old nephew could, you know, whip up a program to have have the unit be flagged and say, okay, this is the 75th night of the year. Um, and... Uh, I'm sorry, you can you can no longer rent this unit this year. Um, so we have some kind of simple things that we could put into place to really kind of rein this in. Um, currently, under current law, um, anyone who's who's interested in in suing um, are 
may legally do so. So if you're a neighbor and you have a someone who is, you know, renting out uh, their apartment, you know, every other weekend, uh, under current law, you you can now actually sue. Um, and so one of the one of the fear tactics that uh, the no on Prop F folks have have brought up is to say um, this will allow neighbors to sue each other. But actually, that's already the case. What Prop F would do was actually allow people to sue the companies who are putting these places on the marketplace um, if they're in violation of the code. And we found an interesting uh, interesting ally in Proposition F, Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is actually against um, another very important proposition, Prop I, which we'll talk about later today on the Common Thread Collective. Um, but even Den- Senator Feinstein says... City Hall, and here's a quote, City Hall has handed over the keys to the city to Airbnb and other companies, gutting the integrity of zoning and incentivizing illegal conversion of residences into de facto hotel rooms. City Hall passed legislation that is so weak that every independent analysis reached the same conclusion. The current law is unworkable and unenforceable. So Proposition F is talking about making smart policy for short-term rentals and protecting uh, the housing that we currently have um, that is just not being used um, for, for, for residents, and especially a lot of residents who are being displaced by eviction and skyrocketing out-of-control rents, uh, which is kind of part of what Prop Proposition I is talking about in terms of putting a moratorium on luxury uh, developments for the next 18 months. Um, in order to have a develop a, a more equitable city plan going forward from our neighborhoods. So Proposition F, definitely a supporter of that. Uh, we can't really let these companies come in and, and take over our, you know, and, and get away with, uh, you know, flaunt, flaunting their, their wealth and in in the face of residents. And actually, one of the other things that happened recently with Airbnb is they put up a series, like a lot of uh, posters, billboards, and bus shelters, and um, basically taunting San Francisco residents and, 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 and calling on certain departments uh, signs that said things like, Dear Public Library, we hope that you use the $12 million in taxes to stay open later. Love, Airbnb. Uh, Dear Department of Park and Rec, uh, we hope you use some of the $12 million in taxes to keep parks 